0: Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This text is interesting. I hope you were listening carefully as Allison read it. You have Jesus' rejection in his own hometown and his apparent inability to perform a miracle or powerful deed there, followed by Jesus sending his disciples out to be missionaries. Look at the juxtaposition of those two snippets. It's not exactly commissioning with wind in your sails, (laughs) is it? It turns out the two paragraphs have a very interesting common theme, I think. And that is this, God's work is not hindered by lack of pedigree, resources, or training for the job at hand. In fact, God's work thrives here. What do I mean by this? Well, you have Jesus, who is fairly well known in his town, hmm? And what is fairly well known about him is his humble working class profession and scandalous origins. Not the background that normally produces a religious leader, a man who would be king, some thought. And the disciples, as we already know, are from common stock as well. No seminary-trained, educated, or even exemplary citizens, these fishermen, tax collectors, and the like. They're the ones who are supposed to go out and cast out demons and cure the sick? Credentials here. Let's go back to Jesus and unpack the situation a little bit further. Already at this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has made a name for himself in Galilee, doing uh, nothing less or less significant than driving out demons, performing miracles, healing the sick, forgiving sins, giving new life to the desperate. Caught a few people's attention. Hmm? Then Jesus came home. Why the poor reception? An interesting question. Did they wonder if Jesus was crazy smart in some way, that he could captivate people. And then they concluded rather quickly that he was just plain crazy. Earlier in Mark, a few chapters earlier, 3.21 to be specific, Jesus' own family had to come to get him because they thought he had, quote, gone out of his mind with what he was doing. Is he crazy? People also in his hometown asked, "Where, where did this man get all this Power and ability. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? That's right there in our lesson. Did they decide, like the scribes had, in, again in chapter 3, that he got it all from demonic sources? Not trusting where this power is coming from? Now, all of this questioning may very well have been fueled by the the knowledge that locals had of who Jesus was. It made no sense to them that someone of Jesus' status and background would be doing these things. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Remember, this was a time and place where the social system dictated your status. A status that was pretty much fixed. In other words, your status at birth defined who you would always be. Honor and shame considerations were important here as well as one's uh, socioeconomic class. So, if we look at what the crowd said, it gives us clues to how they regarded Jesus. Is not this a carpenter, they asked, suggesting that uh, a low-status manual laborer at least in this time, would not be up to what is said about him. And then, of course, there's the reference to Jesus as the son of Mary. Of course, usually that would be the son of Joseph, would be the father. No, son of Mary. By referring to his mother, not his father, there is the suggestion of scandalous beginnings, just as Mary and Joseph had wrestled with before Jesus' birth. A mother who was an unmarried teenager? The father, unclear? These very questions cast doubts in a different way on who Jesus was. Some even suggest that the omission of Joseph means that Joseph had died, in which case Jesus shouldn't be running around the countryside teaching and driving out demons. He should be taking care of his mother kinds of questions about who this guy is. And so, because people think they know who Jesus is, they end up asking disdainfully, who does he think he is? Perhaps absorbing the negativity around him, it says that Jesus could do no deed of power there. Interesting, isn't it? We easily overlook that. doesn't sound like Jesus. Indeed, it is for all of us the case. When we think those around us do not believe in us, perhaps our gifts and powers can recede a bit, even disappear in a time of doubt. Very human depiction of Jesus here. And yet, this was God's Son. A man who did work miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, forgive sins, and drive out demons. A man who God raised from the dead. The same man whose very birth was shrouded in scandal, whose status was inconsequential, and whose schooling unremarkable, to say the least. Always fun when pages get stuck together. We normally think of God as having quite lofty standards, don't we? Certainly loftier standards than we do. But the opposite is true here. From a human perspective, from a human perspective, there was little to work with in Jesus of Nazareth. Not the right pedigree, training, status, or schooling. Yet, from God's perspective, Jesus of Nazareth would do just fine. Similarly with the disciples. Now this is a little more like us. Jesus sends them out two by two to do the works that he himself has done. Drive out demons and heal the sick. And don't think... You're not included in this because you are. It's ultimately where we're being sent. What qualifies them for this? Their backgrounds? Like Jesus, they too were tradesfolk and contained an element of scandal. By that I mean tax collector, a profession widely viewed at that time as shameful and dishonest. Did they have seminary or university backgrounds? No. Were they in sales or the rhetorical arts to go across the countryside captivating people? No. Did they have medical degrees if they're going to be healing? Uh, no. All they did was follow Jesus around. Well, that, could count, that should count for something, right? They follow Jesus around. Then they learn from the master. Uh, well, then again, they demonstrated thus far that uh, they were very good at following Jesus around and uh, at the same time misunderstanding Jesus. The disciples were, of course, among those who wondered if Jesus in driving out demons and healing the sick Was out of his mind. So they didn't even have a very good grasp of their own master's work. On the contrary, they were kind of confused by what Jesus was doing, to say the least. So Jesus turns to these folks and sends them out in mission. Again, we have to wonder are God's standards too low, perhaps? God's settling just a bit or or maybe a lot? And whereas at least Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh, the disciples were no more metaphysically special than you and I. 100% human, 0% God. (laughs) We then learn that those disciples went out as Jesus had said. They called on people, repent so that their lives would be turned around and transformed by a transcendent power. They cast out many demons. They anointed and healed many. Simon, Peter, Matthew, James, and John were actually up to the task. Which leads me to this. What we observe in this passage and throughout the New Testament is the power of God that is loose in the world and in human flesh. And as Luther pointed out, if the power of God is not loose in human flesh, it is of no use to us whatsoever. That's where God's power comes. That's right where we live. That means the the. the The dimensions of our lives that seem so kind of profane and ungodly and sometimes mundane are sacred. Those are sacred dimensions. It's where God works in human flesh, in very modest human flesh, not royalty or anything like that. We learn from our text today. From Jesus of Nazareth to the disciples themselves, the resumes here don't scream for attention. I'm mindful of the Winston Churchill quote about his Successor as Prime Minister, a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Mr. At, Mr. Attlee. And he, he says of Mr. Attlee, Mr. Attlee is a very modest man. Indeed, he has a lot to be modest about. <laughs> Churchill always had a way with. That. Well, that's kind of how I feel some of the time, much of the time. Perhaps, if we're honest, we, we all do. There are two points I'd like to make here in trying to make sense of all this. First, none of us are called to merely follow Jesus. We are called to do what Jesus did. Just like the disciples, we are part of the mission. The mission's to us and then we're part of the mission. Blessed to be a blessing. Always, all the time. And you're in good company if you think you're not up to it. Again, look at the disciples. Secondly, none of us are qualified. Jesus himself wasn't qualified. But the power of God is what accomplishes God's will, not us. This whole Christian thing is not about getting your instructions from God and then following them as if you could. You can't. Again, we're honestly not qualified. It's about the living God whose grace and spirit works in, with, and under us, as Martin Luther once said. And we are invited to participate in this movement of grace, this spirit in the world, this river of of God's love, we are indeed called to partner with God. This is a much more active and dynamic thing. And that grace, by the way, is what saves us day by day, moment by moment, just as that same grace and spirit works through us to bring life to others. That's part of our life, that we get to partner with God. You see, we may be 100% human, 0% God, but we are made in the image of God. And so we make good vessels for God's spirit and God's work in this broken world. What does it mean for you to proclaim the kingdom of God? You are called to that, to heal or to be a part of another's healing. No, most of us aren't doctors. It's okay. This is a higher source of healing. What does that mean for you? To be forgiving as your Father in heaven is forgiving. Does anyone think the families of the Charleston victims... Could have possibly forgiven Dylan Roof without Jesus being in the mi- right smack in the middle of that? They were they were pointing to something transcendent that had was speaking through them. And no, we may not think that we're called to drive out demons. That just seems scary. But demons abound in many forms and we are called to help others and our own selves. Yes, to drive out demons. The work of God that we read about in the Bible continues today in new forms and ways that we discern and we participate in. Remember, it's always about God, not your shortcomings, limitations, or lack of credentials. That's why you have faith. Faith grasps this that we are merely vessels for the work of a loving God, deeply flawed, but made in the image of God for the work of God. Amen.